Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Crystallize is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. It is Oscar nomination morning. We will get to that later in the show, but we start with Crystallize as in Artie Moreno and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are no longer getting divorced. Artie Moreno announced yesterday to the surprise, shock and awe of everybody in the industry, everybody in his front office, and most importantly, each of the buyers who was trying to buy the Anaheim Angels, that the team was no longer for sale. A couple months ago, he put out a big statement saying that we were hiring Sal Galliototo, who is a well-known banker in the business, and we are exploring options. Rob Manford was caught with his pants around his ankles just a few weeks ago saying that he expected a sale to happen and was hoping that it was happening by opening day, which is March 30th, knowing that many, many groups had gone through the process of being vetted by the commissioner's office, had been into the data room, had been negotiating a purchase price agreement with Artie Moreno, and then all of a sudden, here comes the statement. During this process, Artie said, it became clear that we have unfinished business and feel we can make a positive impact on the future of the team and the fan experience. What? It was during this process. You didn't realize that you had never won a World Series until you started going through the process? You didn't realize all of the nightmares surrounding your attempt to screw the public and figure out how to get a new stadium built and all the shenanigans that went on? with the mayor, with the land surrounding Angel Stadium. All of that didn't occur to him until this process. The statement started with during this process, which by definition means the rest of the statement is horse hockey, but it even gets better. This off season, we committed to a franchise record player payroll, not written because we didn't think we'd be paying and still want to accomplish our goal of bringing a World Series championship back to our fans. Hold on one second, Coca. I don't know. I don't want to stop recording, but can you tell me, because I'm off, when's the last time the Anaheim Angels won the World Series? I'm, I'm racking my brain. Was it 2002, 2001? It was the, the Dusty Baker World Series. So it's been a bit except Artie Moreno wasn't the owner. So bringing a championship back to our fans. Okay, we're good. We're excited about this next chapter of Angels Baseball. And here's where it gets great. As discussions advanced and began to crystallize, we realized our hearts remain with the Angels and we are not ready to part ways with the fans, 
the players, and our employees. Horse hockey. When you sell a team, you're not parting with players, fans, and employees. You're parting with what defines your ego. You're parting with the thing that makes you a star. It feeds your ability to go to any restaurant, to be in any room that you want, to be able to sit courtside at any game, to have nobody ever say no to you. When you own a team, you have it all. The minute you sign the purchase price agreement and you give up control, Rob Manford doesn't take your calls anymore. The minute that you are no longer the owner, no one wants to do land deals with you anymore. You become an ordinary schnook. You are Ray Liotta getting the paper at his front door in a bathrobe. When you agree to sell a team, there's several reasons why. Let's start with how good it feels when you own something, anything. Let's say you own a baseball card. Let's say you own a house. Let's say you own a piece of art. And you're just curious, you wanna do a net worth statement, trying to figure out what's this worth? And then you get a number and you put it on a piece of paper and you say, wow, I've got a house that's worth $400,000. The market's doing great. I've got total equity in the house. I owe only $100,000, which means I've got $300,000 of equity. The, the house is worth 400, I'm rich. And then you say, you know what? I wanna realize that largesse. I want to sell the house. You find a buyer. They come in, they look around. They say, I don't really like that wallpaper. They say, God, you need a new roof. And you say, no problem. It's going to be your house. Do with it as you want. You want to sign Shohei Otani, sign him. You want to trade him, trade him. You want to change the way it looks. You want to build a new stadium, no problem. I want my... $400,000. You sell the asset, you have the money. And then you look at your spouse and you say, wow, we got to sleep somewhere tonight, don't we? It's the same thing when you buy a team. You go through the process, you hire a bank, you get all sorts of papers, documents together electronically. You negotiate with groups of people you give tours to groups who want to buy the team. You tour the ballpark. You may even let them meet a player or two. Let them look at player contracts. Start negotiating an asset purchase agreement. Hundreds of pages. Agree on a price. Buyers have to get vetted for made by Major League Baseball. They have to fill out scores of forms. Ownership committees meet about approving people to even bid. Then they meet to say whether they will approve the final bid. You call up baseball, you give them a progress report. The buyers are calling Rob Manfred and giving them updates where they stand. Artie's calling Rob Manfred and Dan Hallam, giving them updates. When Rob said that he expects the team to be sold by opening day, that's because he knew the team was going to be sold by opening day. What he didn't count on was Artie Moreno looking at the purchase price agreement and saying to himself, you know, I wanted two and a half to $3 billion. Let's say he was offered three and a half billion dollars. And then he realizes that once the deal is signed, he's done. He changed his mind. It had nothing to do with the fans. It had nothing to do with the players. It certainly had nothing to do with the employees. You've got to say that in a statement because you want people to feel as though you give a damn. There's only two reasons the Anaheim Angels are off the table. Number one, he didn't get the price he wanted. And way more likely, number two, he did not want to become Brock Purdy. 
You want to know how quickly you become Mr. Irrelevant? Just ask me. Simultaneous. The other little thing that's not discussed about when people are given purchase prices, let's say someone agreed to buy the Angels for $3.5 billion, there's something called purchase price adjustments. Let's pretend that there are players signed to contracts that the buyer doesn't really want to assume because they're overpaid players. Let's pretend that executives are signed to deals, GMs, managers, marketing people. Let's say that there are deals in place where a new buyer says, you have a corporate sponsorship deal on an outfield wall sign that's 10 years at a million dollars a year, but we think it's worth $3 million a year. And so you're costing us $2 million a year for the next 10 years. We're taking 20 million off the purchase price. Purchase price adjustments happen when you agree on a high number, a final number of $3 billion, let's say, and then you take numbers away, like the debt on the team, because debt has to be paid, or you take away certain other expenses of the team that you do not want to assume, so you keep lowering that price. So when the wire happens, when a deal closes, when you read that the Met signed for $2.45 billion, $2.45 billion, I promise you, is not wired by Steve Cohn to Fred Wilpon. Just as when Derek Jeter bought the Marlins with Bruce Sherman for $1.2 billion, Jeffrey Laurier did not get a wire of $1.2 billion. It does not work that way. There are purchase price adjustments. There is debt to pay. When you sell a team and you have not won a World Series, it hurts. Bud Selig to this day will tell you that when he became interim commissioner and had to give up control of the Brewers, but not ownership of the Brewers, his view was, I've not won a World Series, but I could still win a World Series because I'm still a Brewer. When finally he had to sell the Brewers to Mark Antonazio, who currently still owns them, still haven't won a World Series, Bud Selig had the epiphany that is the biggest regret of his baseball career. They made it to a World Series in 82, losing to the Cardinals, but that's the only time they ever made it in the history of that team, actually, since they came from Seattle in 69. The reason why winning a World Series matters is because you can live on that legacy forever. You can wear that ring forever. They can never take it away. Exhibit number one. I'm 20 years removed from a World Series. I'll always be the president of a World Series winning team. Jeffrey Loria will always have won a World Series with the Marlins, no matter how much people are upset about fire sales or losing or not finishing above 500, not winning with Stanton Yelich and Ozuna. Doesn't matter. There is a ring on our fingers. There is a new ballpark in Miami. What is Artie Moreno's legacy? Shohei Otani? Mike Trout? Anthony Rendon? Being despised by fellow owners and the commissioner? Nah, I'm just kidding, Artie. Maybe. But don't tell me about crystallizing. I just want to give you that crystallized statement one more time. As discussions advanced and began to crystallize, the way it works when you're selling a team, the crystallization period happens very, very quickly because the crystallization period is you saying that you are selling at a price no matter what. And then when you don't get that price, what crystallizes is that you're ready to sell, the league wants you to sell, you're still getting a return on your investment that is mind-boggling, and you continue to negotiate and go forward, and you're out of the game. What he really meant to say is that the crystallizing of the discussions 
Not that their hearts remain with the angels. It's that Artie Moreno's ego remains so firmly intact. Is it normal? Absolutely. There is no worse morning for a professional sports team owner than the morning after he or she or they sell the team. No worse morning. It's the feeling of what now? What could I have done? What should I have done? What you have to realize is that the checks that are being written, it's not changing Artie Moreno's life as much as not being an owner changes Artie Moreno's life. And these are things that he knew before he decided to put the team up for sale. It has nothing to do with the lack of bidders because there were plenty of bidders. There's no question the new owner of the Angels would have many questions like what to do with Shohei Otani being number one. But when you look at the health of baseball, when you look at where franchise valuations are going, do you really think that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are the winner of the game of musical franchise chairs and musical owners chairs where they're going to sell for a price where that's it? After that, all prices are going to go down. There hasn't been a franchise valuation bubble. Wait a minute. Let me think about it ever. All there's been is regret from owners who sell, not because the value of their team went up, because the value of their self-worth went so far down. Rob Manford, when told by Artie, and that comes in a phone call, not to Dan Hallam, that comes directly to Rob Manford from Artie Moreno when he says that he's no longer selling the team. Rob Manford at his desk slapped his papers away. The phone was not a FaceTime. And then crossed his legs, yelled it for Dan Hallam and Pat Courtney the way John Spencer used to yell for Margaret because they knew they had to do a statement because Rob's last statement was, this is going to happen. So it made him look bad. So what you rarely, if ever, see is a commissioner's statement on a team that's not being sold. Have you seen him talk about the learners? He said, despite strong buyer interest in the Angels, Artie Moreno's love of the game is most important to him, Rob Manfred said. I am very pleased that the Moreno family has decided to continue owning the team. I'm going to read that to you one more time because it should be shocking to you to hear. It was shocking to me to read because it's not necessary because it's such a lie. It's okay to say, despite strong buyer interest, you have to say that because you don't want anyone to think, any of your creditors, any of your bank partners, any other potential Bezos-like owners, you don't want any of them to think that a lot of smart people looked at the Anaheim Angels and said, wow, that baseball team in Los Angeles, that's not worth what Artie Moreno wants it to be worth. You don't want anyone saying that. So you've got to say, despite strong buyer interest. And by the way, side note, Coca, all of the bidders for the Angels, none of them are going to go public. And the reason why they're not going to go public with why they're not no longer buying the team, they're not going to do a statement saying, we were very interested, but then Artie changed his mind. You're not going to read any of that because prospective owners are told by Major League Baseball, shut up. Do not talk to the press. Do not indicate your interest. Do not leak your interest. Do not be seen associated with your interest. It's a surefire way to not get 23 votes for approval. So Rob has to say, despite strong buyer interest in the Angels. He didn't have to say, I'm very pleased that the Moreno family has decided to continue owning the team. It's not like Moreno had any leverage in this statement. 
it doesn't do anything for the fans. When you make a statement that you're giving to the press, you have to think about what, how it's going to be received by your audience. The audience for Rob Manford is both the other owners and partners of Major League Baseball, broadcast partners and corporate partners, and then fans in that order. The other owners don't need to read that Rob is pleased that the Moreno family is continuing to own the team because they know he's not. So forget that constituency. No need for the sentence. Let's talk about, what was the second thing? It was players. It was, no, it was owners. Oh, corporate partners, broadcast partners of Major League Baseball. Who owns the Anaheim Angels is not relevant because already doesn't have the power to screw with the CBA or the national broadcast deals. He doesn't get in the way of any corporate sponsorship deals. Noah Garden's job is not made harder by the existence of Artie Moreno because he's got one vote. That's it. So the corporate partners are fine, whether the team is sold, whether the team's not sold. It's in the best interest of the corporate partners for teams to be sold at higher amounts because it makes the industry look great, which makes your association with the industry look so good. And then the last group is the fans. Does Rob need to tell the fans of the California Angels that he's pleased that Moreno family has decided to continue owning the team? Do you think that fans of the Angels are pleased? There's been nothing but lack of pleasure, which for me, I don't understand because Artie Moreno has always spent money. You can blame people for not winning and not spending money high, but how do you blame people for not winning and spending money? Because they don't have enough smart people. He's got enough smart people. He's the single most meddlesome owner. I mean, he's Jerry Jones without naming himself GM, no question about that. But he's no different than Jim Crane, no different than 18 out of the 30 owners, if not more, in terms of their day-to-day involvement and decision-making on deals that are not even the biggest deals with the team. So I just find it very interesting that he included that last sentence because there was no audience for it. But then you're going to say, but David, what about Artie? Artie would want to read how happy Rob is. No, Artie and Rob are not sitting around holding hands singing Kumbaya because Rob said in a statement that the Moreno family has decided to continue on the team. And I'm very pleased about that. What, is that going to make up for five years of absolute warfare? Of course not. The Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles are back on the market because the price may have been wrong or Artie realized he didn't want to be irrelevant. Maybe they'll take their one postseason appearance in the past 13 seasons. Can you imagine that with Mike Trout? And maybe he thinks this is the year. I'm going to hold on for one more year. You're going to hear a lot of that in the media. Don't believe it. Because when you make a sale of a team, you can do a sale with a runway. A runway means that you sell the team to another party, but you get to control it for another number of one, two, three years, let's say. It's how David Blitzer's taken over the Cleveland Guardians. In theory, it's how A-Rod's taken over the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's called a runway, a path to control. Artie Moreno could have locked in a price, done a path to control where he could have had the last year with Shohei, one more run with Trout, see if he can get the ring on his finger. So don't buy any of the stuff that he wants to see what happens, wants to see this thing through for the fans and bring the championship back to California. Forget about it. You know, when you are a team, you have a lot to do. You have an entire press department, media relations. You have business public relations. You have baseball public relations. You have social media, an entire social media department. 
The Dallas Cowboys have four and a half million followers on Twitter. That is, that is not a small account. They tweeted something yesterday that in my mind crossed the line in a way that is so plain and clear. I want to read you a tweet that came from the official Dallas Cowboys Twitter account. I thought it wasn't real. I checked with Coca. It's real. I didn't get to Elon yet, but it is real. Dak Prescott gave away the ball twice in the narrow loss to the 49ers. In a matchup, the Cowboys had a chance to win if they didn't again generate self-inflicted wounds. I almost fell off my bed. This is a team social media account blaming Dak Prescott for the loss to the San Francisco 49ers. In my history in baseball and in sports, there is, let's say there are five cardinal rules. The first cardinal rule is, if you're gonna throw one of your players under the bus, you better do it for a reason that is already after a divorce is taking place. Not when you still have that player on your team and can't be traded because he's a $90 million cap hit the following year or because he's part of a long-term deal that you're not willing to release and there's no one who wants to trade for him because he stinks so badly. To throw one player under the bus and blame the loss because then you can say that it's not the GM's fault. Hi, that's Jerry Jones. It's not the coach's fault. That's Mike McCarthy. Don't worry about the game time management. No problem at all. You say they lost to the Niners, a better team that was favored by four, not because their kicker was bad, not because they couldn't actually kick a field goal when they should have kicked a field goal, but because of Dak Prescott and his interceptions when the GM had already said, oh no, that was the owner who said the turnovers aren't in Prescott's DNA. Who's in charge of that social media account? Our owner did not know one tweet that was sent by our social media team. I would talk to him about things. Press releases would not go out without him seeing them first because he didn't want to read about something and be surprised. That is the one rule that you do with your owner. You do not surprise your owner ever. If you are leaking something, if you are releasing something, you let your owner know because in this day and age, that is the one thing that they ask of their team president. It'd be nice if you'd win. It'd be nice if we could make money. But above all, I don't want to read one thing about my team on Twitter or in the newspaper that I didn't know first. Jerry Jones can hide behind the social media department all he wants. But unless he releases a statement today, and I don't think he's going to because this tweet was from yesterday, and his statement should be, I was very disappointed to read the tweet that was produced by our social media department. I've made changes in that department and I've let the entire staff know that it is not permitted to single out individual players or to blame a player on any specific loss. The tweet even came out, Coca's telling me in my left ear quite loudly, came out Sunday night, not Monday, which means that I'm even more right that Jerry Jones was the author and basically agreed to that tweet being released. The only person I blame for a tweet like that is Jerry. Unless there is a firing that takes place, which is trying to put the blame on someone else, in which case that person will have it leaked out quickly that he did not do that tweet without the higher ups approving it. No one would send that tweet, no team without somebody approving it 
And a tweet like that, where you're calling out your franchise quarterback, can only come from your GM, president, or owner. It really narrows it down in the Cowboys case, doesn't it? Jerry Jones looks pathetic doing this. More pathetic than the way he talked about how sick, sickening, damn it, Coca, 4869. Way more pathetic than how sickening it was for him to lose to the Niners on Sunday night. This isn't even sore loser category. This is blow up the team category. How does Dak Prescott react to reading a tweet like that from his own team's social media account? I'll tell you how he reacts. By not showing up and doing one thing that's not under contract that he's not supposed to do. You want me to make a community appearance for you, Jerry? Go screw yourself. You want me to show up to off-season workouts? It better be in my contract that I get a $12 million bonus for showing up or guess what? I'm not going. I want an apology right now from the GM and the owner. Hey, it's only one guy. I want it publicly stated right now that it was a team loss as much as when we win, it's a team win. I appreciate the four-year deal you signed for me in 2021. I appreciate the fact that I can have whatever cars or houses I like, but here's what I won't stand for. Public square flogging. It is disgraceful what the Cowboys Twitter did. It's disgraceful what Jerry Jones allowed and instructed the Dallas Cowboys Twitter to do. And if he doesn't fix it, the rest of the NL East should be cheering because that's how a team gets taken down. All right, when we come back, what did I not say NFC East? What did I say? NL East? Did I really say the NL East? Are we live? Do you want to just edit that out, Coca? Or do you want to go to break first? All right, I'm going to give it, I'm going to, give it to you again if you want to break it in. Okay, ready? 4869. You know what the rest of the NFC East is doing right now? They are doing the Snoopy dance because the Dallas Cowboys are in big trouble. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Oscar nominations and a coaching change that happened in hockey. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for being with us. What a morning indeed. It's one of my favorite mornings of the year when the Oscar nominations are announced. I know I'm a geek. It's okay. I love it. I've been watching them for years and years. No matter what time zone I'm in, it doesn't matter. It's so much easier now. I used to have to sit in my hotel room at an owner's meeting and run back and do it at 530 in the morning or whatever time zone I was in. Now you can do it right on your phone, right on live on your phone. And this is an immediate reaction because this is happening. They were just announced. 
I'm going to talk about a few snubs because that's what everyone likes talking about. Number one is about my credibility. When I do a wait to see, I tell you whether it happened or didn't. I said that you have to go see RRR, that it will be nominated for Best Picture. It is the best movie I saw all year, and it was nominated for Best Original Song. It wasn't even submitted by India for consideration for Best International Feature, where, by the way, Decision to Leave, which I told you to watch, got snubbed, but I hope you still watch it. But on September 15th of 2022, I said RRR will get nominated for Best Picture. I was wrong. That wait to see did not happen. All Quiet on the Western Front, I told you to watch, that was nominated. The surprises in Best Picture is that The Whale was not nominated for Best Picture. RRR was not nominated for Best Picture. They could have gone commercial and done Black Panther. That wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And the three-hour extravaganza by a previous almost Oscar winner, Babylon, snubbed everywhere. No Margot Robbie, no Brad Pitt. No best picture, no best director, no nothing. Now I'm not seeing Babylon. I can't take the time. There's too many movies I have to see. Biggest surprises, you have to say, Triangle of Sadness, another movie I told you to watch, is nominated for best picture. The only ones I have to see are Women Talking and Avatar. I've seen every other best picture nominee. I've never gone into an Academy Awards season post-nominations pre-ceremony with only two to watch. That's amazing. Let's get to best actor. We knew that Austin Butler, who played Elvis, who is Elvis, would be nominated. He's the front runner to win. Colin Farrell, who I want to win from Banshees of Inner Sharon. Brendan Fraser, who's the feel good for the whale. And then my guy from About Time. My guy from Love Actually. Bill Nahi, nominated for Living, a movie that's not streaming yet, so I haven't seen it, but I have to see. And the fifth best actor could have gone to Tom Hanks in A Man Called Otto, snubbed. How about Hugh Jackman in The Sun? Got crushed by bad reviews. See you later, Hugh. You were good in the music, man. This is the year for Adam Sandler. Finally, in Hustle? That was terrible. His performance was mediocre. I'm on an island there. There's no way he was going to be nominated for a Hey, You've Been Good We're going to nominate you, Adam Sandler. Where were you for click? No, it went to Paul Mezcal of Aftersun. Remember the movie that we just reviewed last week where I told you that the performance by Paul Mezcal from Normal People is going to blow your mind about a divorced dad and his daughter? Now are you going to go see it? Best Actress, we figured you would certainly have Michelle Yao from Everything Everywhere All at Once. First Asian Best Actress nominee. She's Malaysian, going against Kate Blanchett from Tar, another movie I told you to see, and that's going to be really, they're going to fight it out. But something happened in this category. No Viola Davis from Woman King. No Till did not get nominated. Margot Robbie, Emma Thompson from Good Luck to You, Leo Grande did not get nominated. There was a rush of support for, Andrew, for Andrea Riseborough for a movie that I'm reviewing this week called To Leslie. I'm so happy she won, but that nomination is going to change Hollywood forever. All of the payola that happens, all of the marketing, all of the money that is spent by studios to promote actors and actresses to get nominated. Do you know how Andrea got nominated? Because there was an internet swirl, an internet campaign to get her nominated because her performance, spoiler alert, was amongst the top five of any female performance this year. 
in a movie that nobody's heard of and nobody's watched. After my review, you're going to do both. Anna de Armas continues to get nominated Best Actress for Marilyn. Blonde is the name of the movie. It was okay. All right, a few other surprises. Baz Luhrmann not nominated for Best Director. That was a surprise for me because he is quite a great director, but the usual suspects are there. She Said is a movie that I asked you to see that was not nominated for Adapted Screenplay. I view that as a snub. Instead, they put Glass Onion in there. But overall, when you look at the categories, you have to congratulate Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's a surprise. So happy for Judd Hirsch from the TV show Taxi. I'm joking. From the Fablemans, nominated instead of his fellow actor Paul Dano in Supporting Actor. He got the nod. Banshees of Inner Sharon, all the actors got nominated. You want to see the best movie of the year that I asked you to see? How about best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actress, best supporting actor? Everybody in the movie, two best supporting actors, one best supporting actress, one best actor, plus best director, best picture. Oh, by the way, best screenplay. Other than that, there's no reason to see Banshees of Inner Sharon. Academy Awards are coming out March 12th. I'm going to give you a list of things that I'm going to watch. I'm going to make that list after the show today. Movies I'm going to watch. There's some documentary features I have not seen. A little disappointed in some of the snubs on the international side, but you got to watch all the international feature films. That means I'm coming for you, Argentina 1985. All the documentary long-form features. The, the uh, animated features I watched too. I'm going to start Pinocchio. That's on Netflix. Puss in Boots, which is Coca's favorite movie of the year, was nominated for Best Animated. So I'm going to watch that every time I turn on. What, what network is that on? I can't remember. But every time you do, they're promoting it. It's a great time. There's no binging of TV shows right now. There's no rewatching West Wing again. It's time to watch all the movies that have been nominated. And we will start today. Okay. Tonight is another big night in baseball, January 24th. I'm gonna take one second here before we talk about the Hall of Fame that not only is today my sister's birthday, who was born on Super Bowl Sunday in 1982, but it is also the birthday of my the best man, one of the two best men at my wedding, who tragically passed away. Uh, he would have turned 54 today. He was not able to get resuscitated. There were no defibrillators, there were no Nobody around when he was taking a walk in the mountains and died doing what he loves doing, which is taking walks with his dog. He passed away <clears throat> under two years ago, and today he would have only been 54. Peter, I think about you every day. It's a weird day, January 24th for me. Okay. Hall of Fame announcement's coming. There's no segue for that. You just think about people, and as you get older or when you have tragedy, you think about people who have gone and all the loss. You know, there's moments that you don't think about it, but then it creeps back in or you close your eyes or it gets quiet or you look at a date or damn Facebook, I'm tired of memories always popping up. You have a memory and then all of a sudden you're looking at people who may not have been in your mind. Maybe that's the point of a memory, but it brings you into a period of distraction and sadness, maybe even a triangle of sadness, which you should watch because it got nominated for best picture. <sighs> what were we talking about, Coca? I lost my place. Hall of Fame announcement. Sorry. 
All right, you can edit out that blank if you want. Ready? Wipe it in. Two, eight, 69. Tonight, the Hall of Fame will be announced. Major League Baseball will do an entire show, and then they'll open an envelope. Here's how it works. You need to be on 75% of the ballots. You have 10 years to do it. It's writers. You've got Carlos Beltran with his first year on the ballot. There is one player already going to be enshrined this July in Cooperstown. So it's not like last year where it had to be David Ortiz because otherwise it would have been an empty weekend and they needed revenue. In goes David Ortiz. Not to say he's not a first battle Hall of Famer, but just to say you've got to have some anchor tenants. You need to draw crowds. This is about business. Now, I'm not saying the writers are not doing what they think is right. I'm not impugning their talent in filling out ballots, but I am definitely pointing out that the weekend in Cooperstown when there's Hall of Fame enshrinement provides an overwhelming lion's share of the budget to operate the Hall of Fame Museum throughout the year. And any sort of money that is not gotten that weekend has to be made up from Major League Baseball. And they don't like supporting the Hall of Fame Museum. No matter how many board members they have, no matter how much control they may have, they do not like supporting the Hall of Fame. Therefore, you need a story. Who's the story this year? A-Rod? No chance, toilet pants. He will not be selected and elected into the Hall of Fame. Carlos Beltran, first year on the ballot. Nope. He's not going to make it. Remember how implicated he was in the 2017 garbage scan, garbage can sign stealing. The fact is, Carlos Beltran is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones, finally. Nope. Could this be the year that Billy Wagner gets over the top? How about bringing in all those Colorado people with Todd Helton? Nope. Nope. You've got Fred McGriff and I'm predicting Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland finished last year at 72, 70 to 72%. He will get elected into the Hall of Fame. The question is which year? The benefit of having Rowland go in is that A, you don't have a show for two hours of a preview show, and then they open the envelope and say, and the nominees, it's the equivalent of the Oscar nominations, and the nominees for Best Picture are silence, nada, zero, nothing. Can you imagine that? It's horrific. You can't have nobody when the envelope opens. It's Al Capone's frickin' vault. Scott Rowland is the one who will get it. He actually joins Fred McGriff, where you can draw from many different parts of the country. Scott Rowland, as you know, well-known in the East and Philly, well-known in the Central with St. Louis. People will make the trek, because if you watch baseball, when I was in baseball, and you don't think that Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, then you weren't watching baseball. Why the crime dog had to wait for the Veterans Committee, which is not called the Veterans Committee anymore, is beyond me, because if you watch Fred McGriff, he's a Hall of Famer too. So wait to see. This is an official way to see Coca in the Hall of Fame announcement. Number one, Scott Rowland is going to join Fred McGriff. The second part of the way to see is the Carlos Beltran number. There's a lot of talk about where he'll be. He'll be below 50%. So it's a double wait to see today, Coca. Scott Rowland will get elected this evening and Carlos Beltran will get below 50%. It's a two-part way to see. If I go one for two, I'm going to take credit for one for two. What's interesting about Hall of Fame to me is what you do with steroid guys. That's been the talk. We talked about it with Clemens and with Bonds. The talk is still happening with A-Rod. 
There is going to be no change on A-Rod. He is not creepy no matter how much his reclamation tour is going. The fact is he's not necessarily creeping toward selection or election. I can understand where writers would be reticent to do it. That said, you have to compliment A-Rod. I cannot think of an athlete who has had a recovery. And it's not Tiger Woods. Because where A-Rod was, was suing Major League Baseball and Rob Manford. It's not about an affair with Ambien and a golf club. This is about lying about steroids, then admitting it, and then suing everyone in sight. You couldn't get lower where A-Rod does. And he has done a campaign of reclamation that is awe-inspiring. It's just not enough to get him into the Hall of Fame this year. And for all the people, when you look at the ballot, just do me this one favor. There's going to be about eight or 10 people who are on the ballot. Let's say Jason Wirth or Jared Weaver is another example. You have to get 5% of the vote just to stay on the ballot for a second year or another year. You always have to be above 5%. Every year, there are people who are on the ballot who fall off the ballot. The honor is actually getting on the ballot. I don't know if you realize this, but the competition to just be on the ballot to be considered for Hall of Fame induction is significant. To be a player who's even considered when Juan Pierre or Jeff Conine appeared on a ballot and didn't get a vote or didn't get the 5%, I called them that night to congratulate them because what an honor to just appear on a ballot. So don't poo-poo Jason Worth's career. You can poo-poo the contract that was given to him, but not his career. Don't think that Jared Weaver wasn't a quality pitcher or that Torrey Hunter, who may fall off the ballot, was not a great center fielder. Mark Burley, who barely made it over the 5%, make no mistake, no matter what happened and where our personal relationship is and what I had to do to trade him in 2012, Mark Burley is worthy of being on the Hall of Fame ballot for a number of years. Don't forget what a great honor it is just to be on the ballot. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about what happened and we will have information on our way to cease. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. I am furious. I had the Grizzlies one and a half over the Kings and they lost by 30 points, 33 points. I didn't know John Morant wasn't playing. I didn't know Adams wasn't playing. The line moved from minus one and a half to plus three. So I had the Grizzlies in my mind plus three. I'm 12 and 13. Even plus three wouldn't have been enough. It's impossible to bet the NBA. You don't know who's going to play. All this load management cock, I've had it. 82 games. If you don't want to play every game, shorten the schedule. There was a game with the Warriors last week, Coca, where I think Curry, Thompson, Green, none of them played. It's ridiculous. All right, here are my picks. I'm taking the Denver Nuggets minus one over the Pelicans. Why? Because Jokic is going for his third straight MVP, and if you're not paying attention to the Nuggets, who are the top seed in the West, at least they were last time I checked, then you're not paying attention. Jokic is the best player in basketball. A third straight MVP, and they're only giving one to the Pelicans? Wait a minute. Does that mean he's not playing? Day-to-day with a hamstring? I don't care. Nuggets minus one over the Zion Williamson, shockingly, over the Pelicans. And I'm going to go to hockey. There is a sure bet, and that is the bet of a team right after they replace a coach. There's a story in hockey with the Vancouver Canucks. My friend Rick Tockett just got a job in Vancouver. What's amazing is that he's replacing a coach 
who has done very well named Brian Boudreau, and what they did in Vancouver is shameful. It reminds me of what I used to do, and it was shameful. When you're calling and interviewing candidates when you still have a manager in the middle of a season or a coach in the middle of the season, it's not very good for your team. The current coach up until two days ago of the Vancouver Canucks was aware that his general manager, Jim Rutherford, was interviewing other candidates and was just waiting for the day he was going to be fired. The players knew. The GM acknowledged by saying there's a lot of speculation out there, but Bruce Boudreaux is our coach now. We would never have a GM acknowledge that there's speculation. And the reason there's speculation is because you can't keep it quiet when you're interviewing other candidates during a season. The GM was asked about potential replacements only recently. And he said, I have, and I'm not going to get into names. And this is even going back a couple of months ago. I have called a few people to talk to people. Yes. But with that, it was clear that I'm calling and talking, but don't know that we're making a change and don't want to make a change. You are the winner of the greatest horse hockey statement of the day. When you're calling Rick Tockett and spending weeks negotiating a contract and figuring out how that's going to look, and then you fire Boudreaux and Tockett's ready to go and gets named, wear it, own it, but don't admit it publicly. How do you think that makes coaches feel? You're going to an organization to work for a guy who has no problem cutting your legs off and going behind your back? We all do it. All presidents and GMs do it. We just don't say we do it. There's no reason for him to say he does it at all. It causes a major problem for your team. Can you imagine when you're, you know, we call it the hot seat. The media gets off on this. They, they list people. The season ends in the NFL and there's already a top five list of coaches on the hot seat for 2023. It makes me laugh. It's like before the draft even ends, there's a mock draft for the next year. We do a mock football draft for kids who are nine years old. This guy's going to be good in 10 years. The thing about a hot seat is that we crave it. We love wallowing in the misery of others. It's like schadenfreude. It's not nice when you see your name or when you see your team as a hot seat manager, a hot seat coach, a hot seat GM, a hot seat president. The reason why that's not good is because players see it, owners see it. I didn't like when one of our managers was on the hot seat. I only wanted to fire them. I want to fire them before they're on the hot seat because I know that when you have someone on the hot seat, they don't come out firing all cylinders and saying, all right, let's rip off a piece of the owner's clothes like in major league and let's get her down to a bikini. Let's win one for the Gipper. Those are great movies. Buffalo winning one for Hamlin. We got this. No, if your team isn't good enough, you're not going to win no matter what's going on. And if your team isn't good enough, it's because your players aren't good enough. All of a sudden, the Vancouver Canucks are going to be a better team because they have a new voice. That's the hope. That's what reason that you make a coaching change. Rick Tockett takes the ice as coach tonight in Vancouver against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm taking the Vancouver Canucks and I'm giving a goal and a half because Rick Tockett, the one I know, he's got the energy. He's got the passion, the power, the voice, the gravitas. 
where there will be an immediate bump. And Wall Street used to call it a dead cat bounce. A dead cat bounce means that you'll get a little bounce of a stock when a stock goes down, but the underlying issues are still there after the dead cat bounces because when the dead cat lands, the dead cat is still dead. Vancouver Canucks did not become a Stanley Cup possible team because of this coaching change. All you did was embarrass a good man in Brian Boudreaux. That's all you've done in Vancouver, Jim Rutherford, and you know it. The high road is just firing him. Name an interim, then call Tockett. In the meantime, you can find out whether Tockett's willing to take the job, but don't admit it. It's not even good business. See you tomorrow. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.